podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Yannick Hanfman. I'm Ilya Marchenko. I'm Dennis Kudler. This is Sebastian Ofer. It's Mark Andrea Wessler. I am Francisco Serundolo. And, and you're listening to the Games of the Podcast. Hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully. <laughs> 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 the epic final. Novak Djokovic, Carlos Alcaraz. We saw it in Wimbledon and we're going to get it at the US Open. He's going to be able to handle a situation in a Grand Slam final against Djokovic because he's beaten him in one. I'm going for Carlos Alcaraz. The main man. The number 24. Novak Djokovic. U.S. Open time, baby! Let's go! Goff could be our U.S. Open champion. Three-set final in which Eager wins. Near on near impossible that Djokovic doesn't make the final. Novak Djokovic claiming his 24th Grand Slam title on the women's side. No surprise here. I think that Novak Djokovic will win this year's U.S. Open and Coco Goff is going to be the American that wins it on the women's side. That Novak Djokovic will win this Grand Slam, beating Alcaraz in the final. I believe that Sabalenka is going to uh, ace up this uh, Grand Slam. Sabalenka and Djokovic take it. Novak Djokovic will have as many Grand Slams as there are hours in the day. Aljabur is going to do it. I really believe. I think Oz has learned from her mistakes. Novak Djokovic is going to win the U.S. Open. Arena Sabalenka is winning her second Grand Slam. Carlos Alcaraz is going back-to-back. He's going to defend his U.S. Open title. Coco Goff on home soil is taking home the cake. Goff will win. Welcome back, tennis fans. Day two. We're, well, in the books. I'm excited for day three. We had some incredible stories again, didn't we, JG, on day two? We've had the likes of Alcaraz now playing. We have got didn't get a full match from him, but we still got a little few highlights from him. We've had Big John making the first appearance of his final ever tournament. And also Sir Andy racking up the records as well. Great to see Andy Murray back in Grand Slam action. I mean, there were some really big players playing, Ben. I love how Big John got a mention second before the likes of Arina Sabalenka, who a lot of people have to win the US Open. She looked quite good in the opening match. There was a period where she hit quite a few double faults in a row. And after the match, she said to the crowd, I'm surprised you stayed with me. Um, but she's happy because she said she would have walked out if she was watching someone like that. Come and on. she's been a little harsh. I think she's just saying it because obviously she won really comfortably. And the way that side of the draw looks for her, I think there's a lot of opportunities. Um, the only thing you really missed in the intro is the fact that we've had some of these legends winning in Murray, Monfils, Stan Wawrinka. Yeah. Uh, but something we've not uh, taken into consideration, there's been a lot of seeded players eliminated. And we're going to get through all of that on this video. This is day two at the US Open. This is our summary the day after. In the UK, it's approaching about 1pm, so lunchtime here for us. And we're going to be covering uh, some matches in day three. 
I think we're going to go with Iga, right? Iga, Coco, Goff. It's another match you would like to do. And Novak Djokovic and course, as well. Djokovic in the evening. So stay tuned. But let's get into day two action. And first up. Uh, well, as you were speaking about Sabah, I thought that we'd bring up Sabah straight away. And 596 is the number which is being put next to her name. And saying with 27 winners in her victory over Zanevska, Sabalenka now has 596 winners at Grand Slams in 2023. The most of any player in the women's singles main draw this year. Force. I mean, that's an, an unreal statistic. I'm, I mean, Eubanks would be happy with that, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, if Eubanks played like he did at Wimbledon for all of the slams, then he would be out there. Not, I don't think anyone would ever catch him because he's another one who can hit a lot of winners. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, this statistic. Um, one thing it does surprise me is that maybe Eager's not close. I don't know where she falls in this ranking. Uh, maybe we can have a look after the episode and I'll let you know tomorrow. Uh, but I thought Eager would be ro- real close to Sabalenka because she's another one who can generate a lot of winners. But I guess you've got to factor in the the ace in as well. Eager can't find as many aces. And of course, when Sabah finds an ace, that also statistically counts as a winner. Yeah, that's true. Um 596 sounds like a big number. Obviously, there's quite a few matches that they have to play over the course of four slams. So I guess it does make sense. But for her to be in the lead, I, I'm I'm not surprised that she's in the lead. But I, like you said, eager. I would love to know what, how close she is to that yeah. number. It must be fairly close, surely. Yeah, maybe it's just not. And we're just completely away with it. Um but with Sabalenka, what this does highlight is how far she's gone in all of the slams. I don't know if you've got that tweet because yes. she's done extremely well, uh, sort of, what's this, since 2016. So you can yeah. see final, final, semi final, uh, win, win, semi final, semi. Oh, sorry, that's not since 2016, is it? Just go up. Sabalenka could become the first woman to reach the semi finals at all the four Grand Slams of a season since Serena in 2016. So Serena in 2016, apologies. I was going to say, I don't remember Sabah getting winning the US <laughs> Open and getting to two finals. But yeah, Serena, of course, did that on a regular. And she got to a final, final, semi-final win. And then 2023, this is really good. Win, semi-final, semi-final. And that's why her statistics so high, because she's been right to the end, pretty much, barring two matches uh, on yeah. Grand Slams this year. Yeah, most definitely. She's been the most consistent, I would say, across all of the surfaces. She's been the opposite, really, of of Sarkari in Grand Slam. (sighs) Oh, my word. I mean, I can't even go down that road again today. I feel like we we spoke about it to the death yesterday. You did a news video on it. Sarkari's out. I don't think we're going to utter her name again throughout this uh, US Open. Only for comparisons for bad performances, I feel. That's the only way her name comes up. Sabalenka, though, she started well. Obviously, this Zanevska expected to win that match. She should be winning that one. It should be a straight sets win. I expect her to have a few double faults and be a bit shaky in in each match, really. But as long as she finds a way to to dig in and just, just wipe these players off the court, I think it's just that's all that we need from Sabra in the first few rounds. Um, when she starts to get to the second week, then you need to start like shoring up the mental side and getting... I'd say if she can keep it to five double faults a match, I think she's 
pretty much on a good one. Yeah, I don't think it's just the double faults, though. She had a wobble at Wimbledon early doors where she lost a set. I forget who it was against now. Was I know we was both... tennis, didn't she? Yeah, we were watching it, and it was like one of the worst displays I've ever seen for like half an hour, but then managed to come through. And you can afford to do that if you're yeah. Sabalenka and got the skill set she does early rounds. You can't yes. do that in the semi final against someone who's clearly playing very well to get there, like a Mukova we've yep. seen recently, or a Piskova not too long ago. Uh, yep. But yeah, really good result for Sabalenka. Let's move on to the men's and Daniel Medvedev. He's another one who not many people are uttering his name because he's so far away, I feel, from Carlos Alcaraz in terms of matchup. He's closer to, to Novak Djokovic, but that match would only happen in the final, as we now know, with a draw. Daniel Medvedev, does he have a chance of winning? He was asked about this as well. Uh, and he was also asked uh, why tennis players yell at their team after missing a shot uh, because it doesn't happen in other sports. And he said, <laughs> I don't really have an explanation. I generally think tennis drives people crazy. Tennis players drive themselves crazy. Yeah, I, I would uh, agree with that. You're just looking for an outlet, I think, a lot of the time. Kyrgios, probably the main person that comes to mind with having a go at his box but not standing up <laughs> after every point. That was a funny one from Wimbledon. I think that Daniel sort of hit the, hit the nail on the head. It is the players themselves that are driving themselves crazy. And I feel that is that's all this is. You can't. They're not blaming their coach. Their coach isn't to blame, really, for anything they're doing on the court unless they've given them a dodgy bit of uh, strategic advice, which didn't work. But most of the times, players are playing their own game when they're out on the court and just looking to vent. And you can't vent at the other player. You can't vent at the umpire. You can't vent at the crowd. They're the only people you can vent at and do it within the rules. So they get the brunt of it, don't they, the old box? Yeah, I think it's a really tough game, tennis mentally. The toughest. You, it's a very lonely place sometimes when you're standing out there on court and you have to problem solve in real time. Yeah. And I think it's just a way, it's an outlet really, just a way to get out some of them emotions. And I never really looked too much into it, but strange question to ask Medvedev. I like the ones where they was talking about whether he feels like he's a contender and if he can get close to Alcaraz and Djokovic. I'm not sure if I shared them with you. Um, but no, what do you think? So. Like, can can he just surprise some people? He's already yeah. set his goals uh, this tournament to be able to get to the semi-finals, which I thought was interesting. I think he acknowledges the fact that the semi-final most likely could be against the Carlos Alcaraz, and I don't think he really believes he can beat him. Do you think maybe he could turn a corner at the US Open? If he's anywhere. a champion here. If anywhere he could turn a corner, I feel that this would be the place because he is a champion here. I've, there is something special about Medvedev on the US hard courts as well. That's where he is most at home. The tentacles seem to flow best. He's in, his, in the water there in the US Open. And I like the fact in this first round match, despite this, when I look down all of the matches throughout the men's and the women's, this one was the one I thought was going to be the most one-sided and it definitely was yeah I, mean, I agree six, out one, of every one, single match one, yeah. yeah 6-1 6-1 6-love and he said to the crowd they were booing him again and he just was saying through in his post-match uh interview he just said i just want you all to go home and just when you're there about to fall asleep just remember you helped me win today <laughs> so i like the fact he's playing to the u.s crowd again and he's He's in, like embracing the booing, yeah, embracing. It's a strange the... relationship he has with them. They really don't like him. Um, 
I like that. I like the fact because he him, played to I the drama. Him, I find him such an entertainer. Um, yeah. You know they don't like him when they support Djokovic over him in the <laughs> final. You must be very unpopular because Djokovic gets a lot of booze across a lot of the Grand Slams, especially, I think it's because he just wins so well and some of the roars, the crowd, it just gets under some of the crowd's skin. And I think it's the Russian um, thing that they're really going big maybe, on, probably. Which is a bit harsh because... <laughs> It's not Daniel Medvedev's fault. No, definitely not. But the this is like a cauldron playing there at the US Open. And we know that any small feeling or emotion is going to be like times Amplified. a thousand by, by them. Yeah, they're just going to enhance it. And they just, they find somebody to pick. I mean, look at Siegeman. She got booed off the court against Coco Goff. Medvedev's getting booed. They just love their chance to boo someone. So. Yeah, but I feel that's going to happen against every single player Coco Goff plays, just like Serena yeah. Williams oh, yeah. when she played. For sure. Uh, there's nothing what can happen there. I think the only one who probably wouldn't get booed is maybe another American. Uh, but even then, I feel Coco Goff wow. will still get more of the fans. I'm speaking to you, US crowd tonight. Do you do not dare boo Sebastian Offner against Francis TFO. I'm telling you now, you better not boo that guy. He's a nice guy. Well, we're going to get on to Offner in a minute because he's had a great <laughs> first round match in, yep. in comparison of all of the first round matches. Before I do, you touched on Medvedev's opponent, Attila Balas, and how easy it was. And we both agreed in the draw preview that was always going to be the most one-sided matchup. He's in uh, via protected ranking. He pockets, what's it, $86,000, whatever the number yeah. is, something crazy. Is it a flawed system? Like, surely there would, been a, there would have been a better opponent for Daniel Medvedev than Attila Balash. A lucky loser would have been a better uh, like opponent than Attila Balash in this like, instance. Well, I think you're being generous, Ben. I think there's a lot, like maybe a first round qualifier victory would have been better or someone who didn't even get into the qualifying well, I, I would agree. Yeah, I feel like anybody. Let me. Attila Balash has lost his last eight matches. He hadn't he didn't barely played this year. He's only played a few clay court events, and that's it. And before that, we saw him last on a hard court at the Australian Open in 2021. Yeah, it's a. So, what do you think about this whole rule then of the protected ranking? It's clearly flawed, isn't it? They need to change it around. Yeah. Uh, in his defence, he's only doing what he's allowed to do, so I'm not yeah. blaming him at all. No. Nope. And I'm sure he'll be so thankful of the rule because he's just been able to pocket a ridiculous amount of money without having to do anything. Let's be honest. Like All he One, had to do games. was just turn up, and he was lucky to even get the two games. He was just nowhere near the level. It was like an amateur playing a professional, and I don't think we should ever see in a Grand Slam match a match-up where there's someone there who shouldn't be there tennis ability, tennis wise and unfortunately yeah. for him at the moment he's like a retired player trying to play tennis and i just think yeah. it's uh, not a good look for the sport and i would like them to reevaluate this whole protected ranking well, it's bad for the for the sort of, like fans who have paid money for tickets as well you got to remember they've even been coming out and saying like i've watched some of the commentary and they've just been saying well they've not really had much to get their teeth into on like arthur ash and stuff like that coco goff was the only match really that's not been completely one-sided so i'm sure coco doesn't like that i'm sure she would much prefer to have gone through in straight sets but the crowd got their money's worth that day so anyway moving on to the next one and speaking of people not really giving the crowd their money's worth Carlos Alcala, as he went through after a retirement from Dominic Kopfer, who 
rolled his ankle in the first game of the match. I mean, how unlucky do you get? You're playing against the world number one and you're playing against the reigning defending champion and then you go and roll your ankle in the first match, well, first game of the match. I mean, terrible luck for Kopfer, but Alcala's nice, easy win, why not? Yeah, he looks sharp and um, can't read into his performance too much because he played against a player who clearly wasn't feeling himself physically the highlight really being afterwards. And that's Carlos Alcaraz singing to the US Open crowd. He had Sebastian Yatra in the crowd, the Spanish guy who sings, what's the song we always keep seeing come up? Vaga something? Vagabundo. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, it's quite fitted because we're very familiar with this due to the countdown. All the countdown episodes yeah. where we spoke about Vagabundo and this uh, Spanish singer. Alcaraz clearly a big fan. He was inside the stadium there in our yeah. with Alcaraz. And Alcaraz gave us all a little song. I don't think we can play it because we'll get in trouble, yeah. but go check it out on the US Open official Twitter page and you'll be able to see it in full. I thought it was very funny. And um, Alcaraz looking sharp, singing. What more do you want? A dancing Alcaraz? A happy Alcaraz? Exactly. A winning well, Alcaraz? Well, his touch looked brilliant and he, he looked just as good as ever. In the small little snippet we saw of him he was hitting the ball with power his drop shot looked fantastic i don't think you could ask much more from him he just beat a wounded animal in front of him in Kopfer, who not really the player he, he was a few years ago when he took that set off medvedev at the u.s open and then he went to the press conference and didn't seem that anybody wanted to even ask a question at the press conference. Said, OK, uh, who would like to start? And then Carlos looked around and then says to all of the press, don't be shy. Anybody, don't be shy. You're here. Carlos is there. Uh, you can. Uh, you have to ask a question. And then Yeah, that there, wasn't Carlos saying it. Oh. That was the the mediator, you know, the one standing next oh, yeah, to him, yeah. just trying to encourage people to ask Carlos a question. Is he, the reason I like this one, number one, we've been in the pressure and we know what it's like and how difficult it is to get a question in, yeah. especially for the top players. Yeah. I'm surprised that this would ever, ever come about, number one. Like maybe, was it at the timing situation? People didn't know he was in there. It wasn't a full press room. We know what that can be like sometimes with late announcements that he's in the yeah. press room and people didn't know. Or was it a case of he's got that star factor now? Wimbledon champion, US Open reigning champion. Are the media intimidated by Carlos Alcaraz and his dance moves, Ben? And his singing. Maybe they were just waiting for him to belt out another number as soon as he got in there. I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe it's a bit of that. Maybe it was a little bit of, like you said, it was a, a retirement. It wasn't really much of a match. Maybe people weren't expecting to be there so soon. Maybe yeah. some people are off having their dinner or something. <laughs> Who knows? You don't know what could have happened that they suddenly had to go into the press room. If there must have been someone there who thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. I can ask a question. You can ask him anything. You can ask him, oh, what song are you going to give us You'd next? have loved this. You'd have loved this. You'd have been straight yeah. up there. I would have been in the front row. I would have just been waiting. I would have hand up. Me. Well, I've got experience in a situation like this firsthand. So I was in Ooh. the press room. You were the first hand up? Or no, it's first I was hand in the press experience? room <laughs> as the only English speaker for Petra Kvitova at Wimbledon. <laughs> I went down. There was no one. Absolutely nobody. And there was a few Czech people on the front row. So they went, okay, questions in English now. They looked around the whole room. There's only me in the room. So I asked Petra a question and she was really happy that someone was asked. She was smiling, just looking at me. She gave me a long answer. 
Um, and then she went, obviously, any more yeah. questions in English? I didn't go for a second one, but I could have. I could have had about 10 if I wanted to. Yeah. But I know what it's like in this situation. And, um, yeah, you just got to go with it and just it's have an opportunity to speak to these amazing tennis players. There was You could have asked him anything. You could have and Carlos, said, what... I feel like it's easy. I've spoke to Carlos myself. So, so. Same. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I would have just come straight in and just said... You could have asked him about playing an injured player. You could have asked him about being defending champion. You could have had a little chat with him, to be honest. You could have just you said, like... It's a few one-off question. You can have a little conversation. Yeah. How do you, how do you know this uh, Sebastian Yatra, then? Like, yeah. You could like, buddies off court. Cool. Like, You'd have loved other, it, wouldn't you? Are you going you gonna to be in his music video next? Or what, what's good? <laughs> you could have so many things you could ask him. But, yeah, I, I like the fact that I'm thinking, hopefully it was just the star power of Alcaraz there. And... This is one thing that I've been thinking about with Alcalaz, and it was before this tournament even started. It was before even Cincinnati, really, as well. We, You know that we look at Djokovic at the beginning of the year, and when he starts off the year in such amazing form and he wins the first couple of slams, everyone's always talking about the calendar slam with Djokovic. I think there's a realistic opportunity that this time next year, or this time when we get round to Wimbledon, Carlos Alcaraz could hold all four slams. That's a realistic possibility. So I just want to put that into people's heads. So there's going to be a lot of people attack me in the comment section. But if we're considering Djokovic being that type of person, I think we have to consider Alcaraz that he would be the type of person who could also hold all four slams as well. So I'm just going to put that one out there because I think he's that good. Is it a real calendar slam when it's all, not all done in the same year? No, I'm, I've just been holding all of them at the same yeah. time. Djokovic has held them all at the same time. At the yeah, no, it's still a so, ridiculous achievement and definitely yeah. something to consider. Let's move on away from Alcaraz to yes. another champion uh, in, of course, the legend Andy Murray. I got to see a bit of this match live against Moutet. Um this is the last winning player we're going to be talking about and then we're going to go on some losers. So don't worry about yes. all the negative people listening. We will be speaking about all the pessimists out there. there were, there's some losing section in a second, but this is a happy story. And he beat the fiery Frenchman, Moutet, who smashed a racket um, in the middle of the... I think it was towards the end of the second set. Well, when lost, It was a break-up, wasn't he? Yeah, so... it was up a break, serving for the set, and then Murray broke him back. He smashed his racket. But there was a lot of respect, actually, between the two of them. And after the match, Moutet had some kind words to say to Murray. And Murray had a lot to say to him as well. He said, respect to you. You're a really good player and you're going to do some great things. And he was really, had some nice things to say about Murray and how um, he appreciated the fight and the willpower to keep going back out there and producing a top level of tennis and, and a fight, really, because he felt that Murray didn't beat him through hitting harder shots or... Um, or better shots. It was just the, the willpower and the fight and the design, the defensive display, really, which come through. I watched it so many times. Murray just making him hit one more ball. Like a massive yeah. shot from Moutet out, out wide. Murray scampered there and just hit one up. Then a smash comes down. He hits one up again, and then he misses it. All it is is just the making him hit another ball. And I feel like that was the real difference between the two of them. Murray using his... Maybe is is uh, is is guys and experience in these situations yeah. to to get, to get through it, and that now means it's two hundred Grand Slam victories for Andy Murray. It's big number, actually incredible. That is huge, and that puts well, I say it puts him. 
He's at number eight already on the all-time list, and he's only three more wins away from levelling Pete Sampras. Now, that's where I've just literally just typed it in now to have a look at the list, and here is the list. Yeah, they haven't updated Murray's to 200 yet, but let's just say he's on 200. Sampras on 203. We've got Ivan Lendl on 222. Agassi 224. Jimmy Connors 233. Rafael Nadal 314, Djokovic 354, and then Roger Federer 369 at the top there. Something Djokovic will be trying to hopefully topple him and get him off that top spot, I'm sure. Interesting. So Murray has a real possibility of passing Sampras in the history books. I reckon he could maybe get even higher if he keeps playing. He's, he's good for a few rounds in slams. That's the thing, Andy. But we'll see how he gets on in round two. Where Who is his opponent going to be? I'm just going to have a quick look at that. Andy Murray what is playing Dimitrov. Well, let's just have a quick word about Dimitrov because he had an absolutely epic encounter with Molchan. He, came, he was two sets to love down, came back to win in five. 11-9 in the final set breaker. I mean, Dimitrov, he knows how to uh, make the fans happy. They're saying that there's not enough of these uh, big matches. Well, if you're at that on that court, I'm guessing you would have got your money's worth. The three tie breaks to boot as well. Well done, Dimitrov. And Murray now having to face somebody maybe a bit tired. Four hours 40 on court. I mean, that's I, th nuts. I think Murray's going to beat him. I really do. Uh, fair play to Dimitrov coming through, but it doesn't fill me with confidence going that distance with Molotan. He should have won a lot more convincingly. And I think all that's going to do is jeopardise his performance. And I feel Murray, he's there for the taking, Dimitrov. And I'd like to see Murray beat him, hopefully in straight sets. That would be fantastic. If he could if he could do that and actually take out Dimitrov in straight sets, then who's he going to be set up uh, in a match in the third round? That's, I mean, they're all such interesting yeah. little storylines that play out in this tournament. We haven't... We've had a few five-set matches. I mean, well, then it could be Zverev. That was the one. Uh, Zverev went through in straight sets in his first-round match as well. Let's get on to some of the losers, though. I know that we want to get on to those next. Um, we're speaking about Murray. 200 Grand Slam wins. And now... Oh, no, we've got one more winner here. Just before we get hit the losers. It is Alina Svitolina. And speaking about, obviously, since returning from pregnancy, has won 10 out of 12 matches in slams. And she gave birth to her daughter 10 months ago. She didn't touch a racket for seven months to be able to return to this level so quickly. Beyond impressive, a motivated mama. That's what they're calling her. Yep. Uh, really good player. She's done so well since sort of giving birth. Yeah. Uh, to come out and time and time again show her best level in Grand Slams. She said to the US media as well that uh, her dream player to play with in mixed doubles would be Gal Monfils as well. <laughs> so you never know. We could get that one there as well. I love that. And she'll be playing against Pavlyuchenkova in the second round. A another winnable match, to be honest, and could set up a third round tie with Pagula, who went through in straight sets also. But let's move on to... The losers. Yeah. I no, mean, we can talk we can. about some winners. We can yeah. talk about some winners as we go later on, Ben. Yeah, like, yeah. We'll just go talk about some of the losers now because this is a big sort of talking point. Massive. Um, and that is the amount of seeds that have gone out in the opening round. Of course, this is factoring in round one as well. Um, 
And, well, we've seen so many. Runa, Hachanov, Felix, Mosetti, Greekspor, Bublik, Toric, Umber, Korda. On the women's, Garcia, Sakri, Krachikova, Kudometova, Vekic, Potopova, uh, Kalenina and Kocioretto. Uh, that is 17 out of 64 potential seeds and 26.56% of the, of the draw. So a quarter of the draw, over a quarter of the draw of the seeds have already gone out. My opinion on this is looking at some of the names on those lists, I think we've just chopped out a bit of the dead wood, really, that were in the seeds. I feel that Hachanov, no idea how he didn't play since the French Open now suddenly is ready to play at the US Open. I, I thought he was probably going to lose to Michael Moe, did lose. Felix, terrible form, not going to be a contender, get him out. Musetti, unsure how he lost. He lost to the Frenchman, didn't he? I didn't expect that one. Yeah, you're harsh to include that one in there in your summary. Greek sport, I thought that you called it fees. No, I don't think it's just like a... I don't think it's a bad result. I think it was a tough match. Yeah. Chorich, terrible performance, uh, to be honest. He went out and... On the women's side, Krajcikova, where's she been recently? She looks like yeah. she's back to doubles player again. Kudometova the same. She's just not at the races these days. The others, like Garcia. Was... Garcia's someone I said I don't think she's. I thought that was just a flash in the pan a little bit when she came back to form last year, and I've been proven right a bit. So I didn't think that she was going to do much of this tournament, and she hasn't. Not much more I can say about her. I think that she's been clinging on to points for the majority of the, the year. And now we're going to finally see her real ranking start being unveiled. Um, Vekic is the big shock, I think, out of all of them. Sarkody, obviously, but Vekic. Yeah, on top of her, I, didn't, I thought would have done better, but I guess she's nah, not Towson. great on the hard court. Nah, Towson she was playing. It was a tough, tough first round match. Yeah. I mean, not going to take too much away from her there. And... Yeah, Kalinin, uh, not been in great form. Cocioletto, she got a tough qualifier. Kai Yuvan, that's not really like... You could have had much easier qualifiers to play. And Yuvan could potentially go through another round. She's not got a bad second round match either. So, all right, let's move on to the next one, which is some better stats. I like these stats that you've uh, fired across, which is the winners to unforced errors in the first round. And we always like looking at these in the slams. Leading the way, no surprise, Daniel Medvedev after he dismantled Attila Balaj. Yeah, I don't even can't even take that one too seriously. To well, be you honest. can't because of the opponent, and yeah. so it doesn't mean much. But it just shows Medvedev hitting forty-one winners to only thirteen unforced errors. That was the best in the opening round across every single men's match. But the second one, I think, is amazing, and that is, of course, Sebastian Ofner, sixty-four winners. Uh, did anyone hit really as many as that? I thought that was incredible. And I mean, Naver did 72 and lost. Yeah. I found that astonishing to have a good differential of 23 and lose yeah. that match. That is a real outlier. And Naver can probably consider himself a bit unlucky. Most definitely. But that's brilliant that Offner's just up there really playing attacking tennis as well. Um, that's going to be a fairly tough match for TFO considering Offner playing he's not all the pressure on TFO in this matchup Agreed. Offner has nothing to lose just go throw the kitchen sink at Francis TFO and at least you can say you tried because the crowd are obviously going to be all on TFO's side I think Offner if he can come off to a quick start maybe like grab the first set could see a real interesting match and 
for anybody wondering if they're in green, that means they're through. Red obviously means they're out. Just uh, uh, having looked down this list, let's have a look at the green ones with the worst yeah, differential. Because <laughs> this is what I want to have. I had a look, a look at that earlier. Alex Dimonor is he the worst one? No, no Byers. There's a few worse, I think. Keep going. Fucevich. <laughs> There you wow. go. Fucevic was the worst. 36 winners, 65 unforced, but still beat Corder, who was equally as bad, just above him. Yeah. 73 unforced errors from Corder. You could maybe say he was the one of the worst in the open. I mean, what went, what, 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 it was terrible. It just wasn't good enough, Corder. Yeah, loads of unforced errors. It's always a 73 tough 73 unforced <laughs> errors. You can't win a match with that. Fuchsovic is lucky he got through with 65, but it's only because he played Corder. Against a lot of other opposition, I mean, if, if Fuchsovic would have played Naver, obviously it doesn't work like this tennis, but you'd no. expect the way Naver was playing, the way Fuchsovic was playing, that Fuchsovic probably would have been out. Yeah, he's quite good in a slam early rounds, Fuchsovic, though. I think he steps up to the mark. I think it's just an excuse. He knows how to, to win matches without playing particularly amazing. I think he knows how to get his nose in front in the first set. As soon as he gets the first set against the lesser players, he's able to finish the matches. But against the bigger players, they go like, yeah, you can have the first one, but you ain't getting the next three. And then he just uses an excuse just to get the muscles out, I think. He just likes that opportunity. At the slam is when you really get to see. He probably gets on the bench, gets everything going, ready for the slam, because that's the unveiling again of the Hulk or whatever he's got going on. <laughs> One of his works. Yeah, that's it. I mean, he probably puts more work in, in the in the weights room than he does in the uh, in the other room, like in the cardio room. But I want to go back to the top here just quickly because we just glazed over somebody else who's at the top here, Hubi Hercatch. And I'm surprised it was quite a good differential because he came back from two sets to love down to have to beat Mac Huesler or Mark andre Huesler. Very, very nervy times. This is somebody I'm considering to get to the semi-finals, to go to five sets. Your, have done. Five sets in your first match. I haven't seen... I didn't see get to see much of the match, but that's a bit of a worry for me. I think Quesler's got a good serve and can get people to tie breaks, that type of thing, but I expect Hercatch to probably take him out with a bit more confidence. Maybe four sets, not five. I've not seen the match nor the highlights, so I can't comment too much, but... I was very surprised guy? to see her catch down um, two sets, and credit to him for coming back. So he looked from based off the off the scoreline, he had a really good fifth set and won it convincing. I think it was like a breadstick. So, what about this guy? Well, look Marazan, look at that, insane. I mean, I did tell you, Ben, you didn't want to, you didn't want to get behind me. I said Marazan's going to win. You didn't want to get behind it. And look, ninety-three winners. I mean, the guy <laughs> when he's on, there's not many players who can hit winners like Marazan. One to watch in the future. How how about he's, he's his... a future top ten player? I think Marazan. He's got the all the ability. How about his second round match? He's just knocked out Gasquet. Now he's got Manorino. It's like French back to back. Easy. He'll beat Manorino as well. Easy as well. I don't know if that's easy. Manorino's an He'll, awkward. I'm player. telling you now, Marazan is going to beat Manorino's. Going to blow him to smithereens by the sounds of it. Uh, anybody else on this list you want to touch on? Should we just move on to the next? Move on. Okay, move on. I think that this is the final tweet I've got as well from you. And this is obviously talking about the big man, his last ever tournament. He got through his first round match. Well done, big John Isner. Love to see it beat Diaz Acosta in straight sets, 6-4, 6-3, 7-6. And then 
He was greeted by his kids after a tribute to his career was shown. And he faces a fellow American, Michael Moe, in round two. Uh, and yeah, the tears were flowing from Big John. He just seems to have been in the sport for so many years. Yeah. It's going to be strange to like see a tournament without Big John's name in it, especially a US Open. It's sad. I'm actually quite icon. sad. I'm sorry, he's a tennis icon, tennis legend. He's been the man sort of holding the American flag for for American tennis for my whole life, I feel. And I'm, it probably gives it away. I'm probably younger than most people listening. Uh, maybe not all. So <laughs> I don't want to uh, take anyone out there. But from from my lifetime, John Isner, he's the main American. Like, no one's really come close. And it's going to be really sad to not see him. Always the jokes every time when anyone plays tennis now, you say, oh, that was a good serve. Like, John Isner. Yep. Like, he, he's known for the big serve in the acing. Nice guy. And, of course, that amazing Wimbledon moment uh, against Mahout. 70-68. I actually watched some of it yesterday. I watched the last Crazy. 10 minutes of the match on YouTube because the full one's on there. I watch it every now and then and I was just showing my dad it because <laughs> it's just, um, just... I was watching him actually live against Diaz Acosta and was like, oh, I was telling my dad about the big match at Wimbledon. We turned a bit of that on, watched some of that as well. And I just love him, really. The whole bounce in the ball between the legs, the iconic big serve. Uh, yeah. his ability of serve volume better than most players. He's not the most mobile. He's not going to break you very much, but he can enough hold a serve and not many people can do it better than him. And it's going to be really sad when he is to retire, which seems to be very soon. Hopefully he can have a run. That's all I Come want. On. I would love to see Big John get to like a quarter final and just shock a lot of people. But unfortunately, I just don't think it's possible. Can he get past Michael Moe? I mean, a fellow American, will he just... just... Stand he might, aside. He might be able to. I think he can, yeah. I, I would love it if Michael Moe would just take one for the team. I, I think John Isner's on a bit of a run. <laughs> but don't quote me on it. I feel like he's... Uh, I heard the commentator yesterday saying he's won a few matches. I don't know if you've got that there. I don't think no. it's that many in a row, but I feel like he's uh, coming into this. <laughs> How many in a it's, row? No, not that many. But I felt like uh, I feel like they said something about him in some form. But I don't remember it at all. Oh, no, look, I'm just looking now. Cincinnati lost straight sets against Thompson. Lost Cavos, lost the sister pass. So I'm not sure what they're talking about. Uh, maybe they were talking about the, in, the Newport run he had in which he lost to Mickelson. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he did well there. He beat Moutet, Bolt and Tommy Paul, which is tough. And I think what really highlighted for me is the fact that even now he's retiring, he can still yeah. beat some really good players like... Do you not think he could beat like a top 10 player on his, like everything just goes right, they have a bit of a lot off one, he can just beat them? He could just serve it out. Like That's now, the yeah. thing. Most players can't just serve things out. He is one who can yeah. definitely serve Dangerous. things out. And if you, if anybody just has a terrible service game and can't get any of their first serves in, he can wallop a return as well. So, uh, great to see him with his kids and obviously everything good has to come to an end. But are we going to see the same thing at the end of every match if you imagine he gets all the way to the final we're going to have to see this thing played after every single one i don't know well, but before he deserves it before we wrap this uh episode up on day two got to give a big shout out i know we gave a big shout out to andy murray but it should be no uh noted we have 
three men in the second round for the Brits. Three women in the second round for the Brits. And I don't remember the last time I could have said that at a Grand Slam. It's pretty impressive. We obviously got Norrie, Evans and Murray all going through very convincingly. And we got Draper Nia's... to play today. Oh, Draper as well. Yeah, he's still to go through the first round though. But yeah, is, is that right? It's still no, go... Oh, did you go Draper. through with Albert? Sorry, so it's four yeah, on the four. men's side. There's seven, yeah. I thought I counted them all when I went down. No, no I saw the tweet first. earlier. That's how I knew when you said six. It wasn't right. It's oh, seven. So seven. So four. So we've got four on the men's, three on the women's. I mean, long might it continue. This, uh, has Miyazaki got a chance against Bencic? I'm all for it. Go for it. Balters through. Can she beat Wang? And Burridge, she's like made it three out of three on the women's. I think the women's is even more impressive than the men's, to be honest. The men's are expected. The women are really causing a bit of a stir. And hopefully they're all like, had, but could Burridge beat Sabalenka, JG? Yeah, well, um, let's wind on to day six podcast and we'll see how enthusiastic Ben is about British tennis then. Oh. I think he's hoping for another Raducanu. I'm not sure if we're going to get one, though. Uh, but anyway, thank you for joining us for day two action. If you haven't already, hit the like button, subscribe if you do, and let us know in the comment section, do you enjoy these style of podcasts? If so, we'll continue to do them daily and it really does help us if you hit that like button. Uh, but we love you and leave you. See you later for some of the live watch-alongs. And hopefully tomorrow um, at a similar time for day three uh, action. Roundup. Yeah, day three <laughs> roundup of the action. See you then. Love it. Vamos, Calitos. Podcast Network.